Hey everybody, welcome into this week's edition of the First Baptist Big Spring Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Road to the Cross as we kick off our series leading up to Easter. The text for today is Luke 18, 31 through 34. I'm so grateful that we can join together again to worship. And we recognize each Sunday that it is a privilege that we get to come together in God's house together. I invite you to have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 18 and verses 31 through 34. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. As many of you know, March Madness has begun. Every year there is a Cinderella team, a team which is not expected to win one game, much less more than one game. This year's Cinderella is St. Peter's University in New Jersey. This school with a student population of 2,355 this past weekend, defeated the University of Kentucky, a school who graduated, graduated, mind you, 8,658 students last year. Quite amazing. Last night, St. Peter's defeated Murray State, and now they are in the, now they are in the Sweet Sixteen. Now, the NCAA calls this the road to the Final Four. And by the time they get to the Final Four teams in the tournament, 60 teams will have experienced heartbreak. And when it is all said and done, there will only be one team left standing to celebrate. The road to the final four. Well, this morning, we're going to begin our journey on the road to the cross. Culminating in our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. And this road to the cross contained many heartbreaks for Jesus. He experienced rejection and ridicule from outsiders But even those on the inside, his own followers, did not understand the necessity of the cross. Even though Jesus clearly communicated to them over and over his death, burial, and resurrection was coming. Now, clear communication is not necessarily our strongest suit as people in our day and time. Now, this is the end of spring break. Students have been away from the classroom for a week. So I want to take us, take us back for just a moment into the classroom here at the end of spring break and share with you some actual notes which parents sent to the schools to excuse their children from being absent. And this is, in my estimation, 
miscommunication at the highest. Let, let me share with you some of these real notes, and they are written just as they were originally written. My son is under a doctor's care and should not take P.E. today. Please execute him. Some teachers would like to do that. Please excuse John being absent on January 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st, 32nd, and also 33rd. Please excuse Lisa for being absent. She was sick and I had her shot. Now, that's why we have spring breaks so parents don't shoot their children, right? Uh, please excuse Ray Friday from school. He has very loose vowels. You, you English majors can truly understand that. Uh, Megan could not come to school today because she has been bothered by very close veins. She's a little too young for that. Please excuse Jennifer for missing school yesterday. We forgot to get the Sunday paper off the porch, and when we found it Monday, we thought it was Sunday. Apparently, going to church and nobody being there didn't give them a clue with that. But my favorite is this last one. Please excuse Jimmy for being it was his father's fault. That's the ultimate one right there. You know, you know we, we have problems at times communicating clearly. That, that's an issue we have between one another and even between groups. But the reality is, Jesus was always clear in his communication. As he was on this road to the cross, he was constantly seeking to prepare his followers for what was to take place. And in essence, Jesus was saying, hey, guys, read my lips. I am going to die. But still these followers of his, these disciples, the insiders, did not seem to understand what was taking place. Here's one of the instances when Jesus revealed to them quite clearly what was going to take place. Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 31. We're told, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. And they will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Now, can you get much more clearer than that? But listen to what Luke reveals in verse 34. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Jesus is on the road to the cross. But yet his road to the cross did not begin when he began his ministry. His road to the cross did not even begin when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 
But long before his birth in Bethlehem, Jesus has been traveling this road to the cross. For Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 says, For the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. From eternity past, Jesus had been walking this road. And now the road is growing short. And he wants his followers, he wants people to understand what this cross was all about. And even today, Jesus wants people, you and me, to understand the fullness of the meaning of why he had to die, why he was buried, and why he was resurrected. So Jesus begins with his followers. He says to them that everything the prophets had foretold about him, this road to the cross, had already been predicted by the prophets. Now there are some little over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. This morning I want to share with you ten of those prophecies which concern particularly his death. Ten prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus' death. Now, mind you, each of these prophecies were written hundreds of years before Bethlehem ever birthed the Messiah. Here's the first. Psalm 41, verse 9. The psalmist predicted Jesus would be betrayed... By a friend. Even my close friend whom I trusted, he also shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Mark 14 verse 10 tells us that one of his own, one of his friends, Judas, betrayed him. Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 12 predicted that Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. The prophet wrote, if you think it best, give me my pay. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Matthew chapter 26 verse 15 tells us Judas was paid by the religious leaders 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus into their hands. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7 predicts when Jesus was accused, he would remain silent before his accusers. Isaiah writes, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a, sheep, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Matthew chapter 26 verse 33 says, when Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate said, do you not have anything to say in your defense? But Jesus did not utter a word. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6 predicts Jesus would be slapped and spit upon. Isaiah wrote, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Mark chapter 14, verse 65, tells us the Roman soldiers took out a whip called a cat of nine tails. And they shred his back with that whip, with that cat of nine tails. And they pulled out his beard and they spit in his face. Psalm 22, verse 16, predicts 
his hands and feet would be pierced. The psalmist writes, a band of evil men have surrounded me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Now understand, David wrote this psalm somewhere around 1000 B.C. That is 400 years before crucifixion was ever invented as a form of execution. Even before crucifixion came about on the face of this earth, the psalmist predicted Jesus would be crucified. John chapter 20 and verse 27 confirms the Roman soldiers surrounded Jesus. And they drove massive nails into his hands and into his feet. Psalm 22 verse 8, the psalmist predicts Jesus would be mocked and insulted. For he writes, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Matthew chapter 27 verses 39 and 40 tells us those who were standing around the cross that day and that Friday afternoon yelled insults at Jesus upon the cross. Psalm 22, verse 18, the psalmist predicted soldiers would cast lots for his garment. For he wrote, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Mark chapter 14, verse 24 says, as Jesus was on the cross, they gambled away what clothing Jesus had left. And they divided it among themselves. Psalm 34, verse 20 predicts that on Jesus not a bone would be broken. For he protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. John chapter 19 verse 33 says that when it came time for the soldiers to, to make sure the, those crucified were dead, broke the legs of the two men on the cross on either side of him. And the only reason they broke the legs is because the legs were used to push themselves up in order to get a breath, to, to, to get their lungs clear. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead, so not one bone was broken. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, Isaiah predicts Jesus would be buried in a rich man's grave. Isaiah wrote, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Matthew 27, verses 57 through 60, tells us how this rich man by the name of Joseph Arimathea gave up his own tomb for the body of Jesus. Psalm 16, verse 10, predicts the resurrection of the Messiah. Psalmist writes, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And Matthew chapter 28 verse 9 tells us that Jesus came out of the grave and he is alive forevermore. Ten prophecies about Jesus, which were all fulfilled. Dr. Pete Stoner wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. And in his book, he, count, he calculated the mathematical odds that out of those ten provinces, he calculated the mathematical odds that one man could fulfill eight of those ten promises. 
the mathematical odds of one man fulfilling eight of those ten promises is one to ten to the power of seventeen. For you mathematicians, you know that means it is the it is a number one with seventeen zeros behind it. The odds that one man will fulfill eight of those prophecies is one to ten to the power of seventeen. Now, let's see if we cannot picture that and understand the vastness of what that means. Suppose we had one to the ten to the power of 17 silver dollars. That is, silver dollars enough that you had one with 17 zeros behind it. Just, just shy of a quintillion. You have ten to the power of 17 silver dollars. And in one of those, you take a magic marker and you mark a big black X on top of it. You return it to the pile of the other silver dollars and you, and you dump them all on the state of Texas. Once you spread out those 10 to the power of 17 silver dollars across the state of Texas, where there is, is even across the state, then that would mean you are standing in two feet of silver dollars at any point in the state of Texas. Now let's take that a step further. Suppose you were to fly over the state of Texas and you parachuted out of a plane somewhere between Texarkana and El Paso and somewhere between Corpus Christi and what's up top? Texoma. No, anyway. And you parachute out, and you landed at some point in the state of Texas. And once you landed, you bent down, and you picked out one coin out of that two-foot-deep uh, stack of coins. And, the, one, and the, the first coin you picked up was that coin with an X on it. What are the odds? Those are the odds calculated that one man could fulfill eight of these ten prophecies concerning the death of the Messiah. But Jesus did not fulfill eight. He fulfilled ten. And Dr. Stoner goes on to say that, that the odds of one man randomly fulfilling 48 prophecies is one in ten to the power of 157. Jesus did not fulfill just eight. He did not fulfill just 48. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies concerning himself. Friends, what are the odds that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? It's no wonder in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, the Bible testifies salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You see, the road to the cross is the road to salvation for you and me. And here in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is looking down that road to the cross, knowing full well what was ahead of him. It did not just suddenly come upon him. In these weeks before his crucifixion, from eternity past, Jesus knew full well what was ahead for him. 
For he knew he had an assignment given to him by his father. And the assignment was to die upon the cross of Calvary in order to forgive the sins of those whom God had created so that we might have an eternal, everlasting relationship with with God the Father. And as he's looking down the road to the cross, he sees all the rejection. He knew his own followers would abandon him. And they would flee. He saw the physical pain of having his back shredded with a cat of nine tails. He visualized the pain of the nails would inflict upon his palms and upon his feet. He sensed the agony of having a spear driven up under his ribcage into his heart. He saw it all. Yet, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus did not turn back. (laughs) He went to the cross of Calvary. Because when he was on that road to the cross, he saw not only what he was going to face, but he looked beyond it and he saw you and me. He saw us in the midst of our sin. He saw us in the midst of our lostness. He saw us in the midst of our death. And in the midst of what He saw in us, there grew a great love for us in His heart. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the shame of the cross. For the joy set before Him. There was no joy for Jesus in the pain And the death he was going to experience. But there was joy in him for what that pain and his death would bring about. Salvation. Forgiveness of sin. And eternal life for all who in faith would call upon his name. Jesus would die. He told his disciples. They did not understand it, but Jesus said, I will die. But then he reminded them, but that's not going to be the end of me. Because Jesus tells him on the third day, I will rise again. When I was a teenager living in San Antonio, my father decided he wanted to grow his own watermelon. I mean, he loved watermelon. Instilled that within me. For some reason, he did not instill that within my wife. Even today, we have to separate ourselves when I eat a watermelon. But my father loved watermelons, and he decided he was going to grow his own. So my dad, who, who and th- this is out of love, and my oldest daughter is cut out of his cloth. My father is extremely intelligent, but common sense was way down here. So my father wanted a watermelon, grow his own. He goes out to the side of our house, and he digs out a spot, a dirt. I mean, it's 
It's probably it's a little less than the size of this rug right here. He goes to some store, buys watermelon seeds, put the S on that, and he pours them into his hand. He, he, I mean, they're right here. And he starts doing this. I said, Dad, why are you putting so many seeds in the ground? He said, well, I want to make sure at least one of them will take. Well, one of them took and so did about a thousand of his brothers. There came the day when we had watermelons growing out of that spot into the neighbor's yard. Some of them started off toward the back of the house where the cemetery was. We, we lived next to a cemetery, right, right to the cemetery. Watermelons even began to creep upon the driveway of that. And I told him, I said, Dad, you wanted one watermelon, and now we've got about 500 of them, it looks like. Well, Dad got his watermelon, and so did the neighbors, so did the neighborhood, and so did our friends, and so did everyone in our church. We became known as the watermelon people. And I told my father, I said, Dad, did you not realize that every seed sitting in the palm of your hand was useless until you buried it, until you put it into the ground? Because, you see, when you put, when a seed is sitting in a hand or sitting in a, in a paper packet or sitting on the shelf, the seed produces nothing. It, it, it's just there but when you bury it you see when, when when you plant it when you put it into the ground then the seed no longer becomes a seed it, in in essence in, in reality what it does the seed itself dies but that's not the end of the seed the seed will eventually grow out of that seed, will grow a plant that will give life to that plant. And for most of them, that plant will produce a fruit which will produce more seeds. Now, I don't know how many watermelons we got out of that. I wouldn't call it a patch. I don't know how many watermelons we got out of that. But can you imagine how many seeds... Or in just one watermelon? No less all the rest? Watermelon seeds were scattered all throughout that side of San Antonio. And you see, the death and resurrection of Jesus is like a seed. When Jesus was buried, he, he, if, if he could have just been a good teacher... That would be enough for some people. If he would have been just a, a healer, that would have been enough for some people. But Jesus told his disciples, I did not come to teach. I did not come to heal. I came to die. And when Jesus died, that was not the end of Jesus. Out of his seed came life. 
And that life bore seed after seed after seed. And those seeds began to bear other seeds and more seeds. And those seeds began to bear more seeds. And do you realize that for you who have faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're the result of a seed that was in someone's life. And now you bear those seeds to give to others. Jesus said, I will die. But that's not the end of me. In three days, I will come to life. And friends, I'm here to tell you, as we travel this road to the cross and culminate with the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus at Easter, I'm here to tell you right now, Jesus is alive. The only question is, is He alive in you? Is He alive in you? God loves you so much. He sent to you a personal Christmas present in the form of an infant. And that child grew up to die on the cross for your sins. And God raised him from the dead. And Scripture says if you will put your faith and trust in Him, you can receive the greatest gift given to anyone, and that is eternal life. You recall? Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Read it earlier. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does Jesus live in this morning, that sea can burst forth to life if you'll just come before the Lord in faith and trust. Say, Father, I can't do it on my own. I need you and you alone. You see, the cross is not just an historical event, it is a present reality. For every disciple. Every day we walk the road of the cross. Because Jesus told these followers of his in Luke chapter 9 verse 23. If anyone would come after me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. And follow me. As disciple. You're called to walk the road of the cross. And the cross means nothing more than death. For you and me as followers of Jesus Christ, we die to self every day. If we seek after God first and foremost, and we seek to follow Him and to love Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Jesus may be living in you, Christian, but is Jesus living through you? It is sad that we carry so many seeds within us, but we fail to bury those seeds in the lives of others. 
by telling them of the good news of Jesus Christ and living a life of godliness before them. Is Jesus living in you? Is Jesus living through you? Pray with me. Father, we're grateful that on this day we can acknowledge your love for us. A love so deep, a love so strong, that the one who created us would be willing to become one like us and to suffer the shame of the cross so that we might become like Him. Father, we acknowledge that our God lives today. Lord God, we also acknowledge that some in this room cannot claim He lives in them. May today be the day that they will call upon the name of the Lord and in faith offer their lives to them, to Him. And experience the forgiveness of sin to experience life eternal. But Father, there are also people in whom You live but you're not allowed to live through them. Father, as your followers, we ask that you would so cleanse us and purify us and give us a heart for you that you could shine your light through us so that others can know of your great love. How good you are. Father, we offer ourselves to you. As outsiders, we ask you to live in us. As insiders, we ask you to live through us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. As you stand with me. For a moment, this is an opportunity for you to process what God has revealed to you. And if in the midst of that process, you realize that Jesus Christ does not live in you, I want you to come to where I am and let's just talk about that for a moment. Let's pray together. Or afterwards, then find me, find Alan or Jonathan or or Roger and just say, hey, can you help me understand this better? And we want to allow you we want you to see the goodness of Christ. It may be during this processing you realize Jesus has not been living through you. And because of your own sin, you've blocked the light of Christ. You've put a cover over that light. And you're ready to say, Lord God, forgive me. Shine through me. You may want to come and kneel at the altar and pray. You may want me to pray with you. However you choose.
then let's make sure we respond to the Lord today.